Good evening. I'm glad y'all are here. I'm glad for our time that we get to spend in Exodus uh, 18. You can turn there. We'll be in the 18th chapter, or the very end of 17 and then into 18. Before we begin, I'd like to fix the clip and then pray. There we go. That felt awkward. Every time Brad preaches, this thing is not the same afterwards. All right, let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for this time. Uh, We are thankful for this day. I'm thankful for the rain that you've given us. Uh, That is a uh, sweet blessing, Uh, a little cooler temperatures. Uh, I'm thankful for friendships that we have within this room. I'm thankful for the Word that equips us for a work of ministry and makes it to where we're not completely incompetent. I'm thankful for you, that you make yourself known, that you are knowable, and uh, that you reveal to us your will. Thank you for our redemption in Christ. Thank you for the blood of the Lamb. Lord, I confess that uh, it doesn't take me very long to lose sight of how immensely blessed I am. Uh, Days are full of stress and distractions and things that need tending to, and um, we can do that in a worshipful way or in a way uh, that's not worshipful. And so my prayer is that our time in the Word tonight would help us to see uh, order and, and structure and, and uh, wisdom and plurality um, within this chapter that, uh, that you have us in tonight. You are great, and you're greatly to be praised And as you tell us in your word, your your greatness is, in fact, unsearchable. Um, For us to know any part of it is a sweet privilege. Uh, Please bless our time. Please encourage us in the truth. Please inform us. Please warn us. Uh, Please show us things that we would otherwise not see. Um, Please send uh, the Holy Spirit to do a work in us that we are completely incapable of in the flesh. We love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen title tonight is Catching Up with Jethro. Um, If I start a band, I'm going to call it Catching Up with Jethro for what it's worth, Um, because it's the best band name ever. Um, And if you steal it, I'll take you to jail. Um, Listen, we need to climb back into the text, because we've had kind of a choppy couple of weeks. Um, What happened after they crossed the Red Sea? Y'all climb back into it and tell me what happened after the, first of all, Who crossed the Red Sea? The Jews, okay. Who didn't cross the Red Sea? None of the Egyptians? None of the Egyptians, yeah, not not one of them made it. They were... They were seen on the seashore by by the uh, Israelites, okay? And so after they crossed the Red Sea, what happened? They sang. And what song did they sing? The Song of Moses. That's right. So in order for them to sing that song, what had to happen? You have to learn it. And in order to learn it, what has to happen? You have to hear it. 
In order to hear it, what has to happen? Someone's got to write it. And for someone to write it, what has to happen? Inspiration. God has done something. It is worthy of praise. He tells us to bring him a sacrifice of praise. And so we write this song. And so we had the song of Moses, and they sang. And then they came to the whole uh, bitter water thing. And how did they respond to that? They're like, it's cool. He just brought us through the Red Sea. Clearly, he has control over the water. We need not freak out. Was that the response? No. What'd they do? Grumbled. That's a theme here of God's people being abundantly blessed and responding with grumbling. Uh, We probably wouldn't know anything about that. And so how was the bitter water made not bitter? The log. They, They did what with it? Yeah, that's pretty cool, right? And was it just not bitter? Sweet, okay. Uh, Then we have the whole there's nothing to eat, which these are big problems when there's, you know, over a million people. And so uh, how did they respond with nothing to eat? They grumbled, and they were not sober-minded. And so they grumbled, and what did God say? (laughs) I've heard your grumbling, so I'm going to... give you food. What a merciful and uh, graceful God. Uh, So he gives them food, and um, they have manna, and there's a way that they're to collect it, and the way that they're not to collect it, they're not supposed to hoard it, they're supposed to get enough just for the day, and on the sixth day, they get enough for two days so that they can rest on the seventh day. So we see this pattern very early on in the life of God's people of six days of work and one day of rest is sufficient for provision, and it's sufficient for rest. We don't have lives of rest We generally have lives of work, but lives of work do not go on for very long if you do not rest as God plans. And so we have eternal rest and constant rest in Christ, but he tells us work hard and rest appropriately. It's in the pattern of six days, one day is is what we have in the Bible. And we live in America where they can't decide, so we have two days, and that's abundant blessing. Then they get water from the rock in chapter 17, uh, and then they have their first battle. Who's that against? The Amalekites. And how'd that go? Did we win? Okay. What? Yes. Just by a little bit? Okay. And how, how, did, uh, how did we win? How did that work? Like three, y'all just went. That was awesome. Yeah, the, what, what had to be held up? And who had to hold it up? And? And Aaron and her. And uh, her has an unfortunate name because he's just referred to as her. Um, no one really knows much else. Uh, but we see, um, I want to pick back up in actually 17 verse 8. I'm going to read that. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. And one of the things we see is that sometimes God fights for us, as he did in large part with the Egyptians. And as they cross the Red Sea, God will fight for us. And then other times God fights through us. And this is the first time where we see them out of Egypt and there is a battle and they have to fight. Um, So go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, 
Israel prevailed, and whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone, and they put it under him, and he sat on it. While Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord, or upon the throne of Yahweh. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So my question is, why couldn't Moses just hand off the staff for a little while? God told him to do it. That's a really good reason. What are, what are, some, what are some reasons why he wouldn't be able to just say, all right, her, I'm tired. You take it. All right, now her's tired. Now, um, Moses, you want it back or should I give it to Aaron? Why couldn't they do that? Or could they have and they just missed out on the opportunity? Yeah, Moses had been called out. How did God call Moses out? For real, y'all, how did God call Moses out? The burning bush, okay, that's good. And um, was Moses an utter failure, loser, and sissy for not being able to hold it up for longer? No, only one of you was nodding yes. Um, uh, no, he wasn't. Uh, so why, what is this we see a picture of? It, it's a picture of plurality is what we're getting at here. Um, he can't just say, I'm tired, you take it, but they have to work together. So what was the result of all hands on deck? Kept the staff up. Now, look at the words used here. Um, so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And so there's this connection I want us to see because it does take us into chapter 18 that the, the result of all hands on deck is steadier hands on deck. Uh, so his hands were shaky. He was unsteady. He could not do what he needed to do. Yet what needed to be done had to be done. And it would only be done in plurality. So... Uh, this is a picture of steadfastness as opposed to a cycle. Sometimes we get into this cycle of frantic busyness, and then I'm non-existent. No one even knows. I, I don't want anyone to know where I am. I don't want them to find me. I'm not going to answer my phone. I'm not going to answer email. And then I'm very frantic, and I'm doing things, and I'm doing things, and I'm going, and I'm going, and I'm going, and I'm going, and now I'm tired. I'm going to put the staff down, and I'm going to come over here, and I don't want you to even know I'm alive. That is not steadfastness. So what we're seeing here is a picture of steadfastness that really only exists in plurality. And when I say plurality, what I want us to begin to think of is we, I think at Crosspoint, we probably think of plurality in terms of eldership. But plurality is not just an elder thing. It's all throughout the body. It happens with the deacons, with small group shepherds, and with members within the body. Um, it, it has a lot to do with, you remember perichoresis. What's perichoresis? Blurry dance. Now, for those of you who are artistic, you're like, I love that. And for those of you who are practical, you're like, I hate that. 
A blurry dance, really? Well, who's going to bring the juice, you know? Like, like who's picking up the dry cleaning? It's a blurry dance. I don't know. Did you do it? Did I do it? You know, and, and it can be frustrating. But what I'm hoping we can see tonight is that this perichoresis blurry dance that our, our community with each other is a reflection of God's community within himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And it's not just these assigned tasks that only you do and only you do, but it, the lines are blurred and it's like a dance. What I hope we can see tonight is that I would say perichoresis can really only exist within good order. Because you might think, ooh, a blurry dance, I like that better than good order. I'm not a real details person. And I would say, um, and I think what we're going to see in the text is that uh, good attention to details is the, the, the manner in which uh, we can be perichoretic in, in our movement. So, um, we'll, we'll get to more of those details in a minute. What was the purpose of the memorial in verse 14? And the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. What's the, what's the point in a memorial? What's the point in any memorial? And don't say to memorialize. Do you remember? Yes. Yes. This is what God said was to be done. You go out. Joshua needs to know this is an approved thing. And this is what God has done. So what we're seeing in this memorial is something we're also going to see again in chapter 18. That's why we're touching on this for a minute is recounting in sobriety, recounting in sobriety, write it down the way it actually happened. You don't need to embellish, but, but write this down as a memorial and tell this to Joshua. Now we're going to move into 18 verse one, Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses's father-in-law heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people. How the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now, my question is, what is interesting about how the events were communicated to Jethro? What's notable there? Yeah, compared to this oppression in Egypt... And compared to uh, this coming through and, and, and uh, this, you know, being in the wilderness from the time they were and then fighting with the Amalekites, it, it sounds like things are turning around. Now, who's the focus of the recounting in that verse? In this verse 1, Jethro the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Who's given credit for the action? God. Now, this is unique. That's what Jethro heard, right? So, something happened over here. It was, it was spoken of clearly and truthfully by God's people, communicated through other people of different, um, who are not Israelites, I would say, and, and it ends up where Jethro hears it, and he hears it in such a manner where he hears about what God done, has done, what the Lord has done, um, what provision God has given. And so this is unique. Uh, look at verses 2 through 7. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home. We don't really know why, but there's an assumption that if there was war going on, he probably sent her home um, for safety reasons, so that he could tend to what he needed to tend to. That's... We don't know that for sure, but we can possibly assume that and not be totally wrong. 
um, along with her two sons. The name of one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other was Eleazar, for he said, The God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and your two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and they went into the tent. What is happening here? What's Jethro doing? He's taking the wife and kids to go see dad, right? Okay, is he being a good father-in-law here? Is that a nice gesture that he is doing? Okay, we're going to see if it just stops with a nice gesture or if it's more than that. Um, now, he gets, he gets there, and what do they ask each other about right, right off the bat? Their family. Particularly what? The W word. Welfare. So essentially, they're just catching up. This is good that they are catching up. Um, it's good to do from time to time. Uh, I just want to make a brief note here that many of us feel we are too busy with impending deadlines to spend any time just catching up. We feel like there's no time to talk about the past because um, there's, there's too much going on in the near future. And, and there's a brief note that they say, how are you? And they don't just do, fine, fine, you're fine. Okay, good to see you. Give me my wife and kids now. Scram. And we're especially not so patient and, and in good communication with our in-laws, probably. And so um, what's happening here is good. They're catching up. How are you? I'm good. Let's talk about the details. Now look at verse 8. There's a recounting here. And I'm, I'm going to ask, what is the content of this recounting? Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. So what is the content of this recounting by Moses? If we're making a list, what are we going to put on the list? Number one is what? What? The Red Sea? The Red sea? Plagues? Water, man, I mean, there's going to be a lot of details in here, and he's not leaving those out. Um, he, he's wanting to be, hey, thanks for that. I appreciate that. I can't breathe for anything. Um, uh, does anyone else need these? I'm watching like half the room. Here's some community tissues uh, for those other people who can't breathe and noses are running. What's in the air? Does anybody know? I don't know what I'm allergic to, but it's bad. Oxygen. It's air. That air gets me every time. All right, uh, so we'll get back to it. Um, uh, the content of the recounting, he, he has specifics, and he tells him, this is what, I mean, I want us to see what a sober-minded leader looks like. This, he's talking to his father-in-law. Man, have you ever talked to your father-in-laws and wanted to embellish a little bit? Yes. Of course you have. How's work? Well, 
It's going pretty great, man. Uh, how are you? Uh, I'm doing really well. Uh, you don't want to tell your father-in-law about, uh, about any... You don't want to be... Um, most people don't actually just put it plainly. You don't want to be too honest with your father-in-law usually. You want, to, you want to make sure you look good. But here, what we're seeing with Moses is he goes directly to God. Look what God did to Pharaoh. He doesn't say, dude, Pharaoh was so scared of me. I went into Pharaoh and I was like, you're going to let us go. And Pharaoh's like, yeah, I am. You know what I'm saying? Like he could have embellished it. It's his father-in-law. He didn't. He was sober in his recounting. He, he, he stayed to the facts. He, was, he stayed to what was true about God. And the main points were, this is what God has done to Pharaoh. This is what God has done to the Egyptians. It was for Israel's sake, not just for my sake. He sees the big picture. He includes the hardship. And um, look at what happens in verse 9. This is a cool thing. And Jethro rejoiced. Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Now, this is more unique than it may appear at first glance. Is Jethro a Jew? His name's Jethro. Jethro? Is Jethro a Jew? Who did Moses marry? Moses married Jethro's daughter, whose name was Zipporah, who was from what people? The Midianites. Are the Midianites Jews? No. So if you're not a Jew, then what does that make him? A Gentile. Are all non-Jews Gentiles? Yes. Yes. You're Gentiles. Um, so, uh, Jethro is not a Jew. Jethro is a Gentile, and Jethro is rejoicing for something in particular here. This is actually really cool. Um, what is the cause of Jethro, Jethro's rejoicing? What's causing him to rejoice? The good of the Lord. The Lord, not a Lord, not a God, the Lord. Jethro is rejoicing in the one true God right here. This is important as we continue to read. Look at verses 10 through 12. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians. He doesn't say, Good job, son in law. I always thought you were a loser. I thought my daughter could do better, and it's good that you've made a name for yourself. He goes straight to God. Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Listen to this. Now, I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because in this affair, they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. What just happened to Jethro? Jethro done got hey Jethro done got saved it's it's kind of hard to pull that out if you just read through it but look at what happened with Jethro he um he wasn't just coming out as a father-in-law what Jethro was doing was he was coming out as one interested turn to Isaiah 60 verse 3 this will give us a little bit of understanding Isaiah 60 verse 3 it appears 
it appears here that, that Jethro is coming to faith in the one true God, and Jethro is not a Jew. And so this is unique, but this is also God's design. Someone read uh, Isaiah 60, verse 3. Nations shall come to your light. How does this apply to the Exodus verse? What did Jethro just do? He came to the light. I heard what happened. Tell me what happened. You just confirmed what I heard. That tells me something about your God that you're following. Your God is very active. Your God is doing things in your life that I don't see happening in other lives. They were cruel and arrogant However, your God was very much the one who prevailed here. Your God delivered you. Your God was good to you. And he's, what he's doing is he's being drawn to the light. Um, uh, Nations shall come to your light. How is this an encouragement to us? How can this be an encouragement to you specifically? Who are the hardest people to witness to? Family. Why is family so hard to witness to? They know your junk. Yeah. Uh, why does that, what, how does that create a difficult dynamic when you're trying to witness to your family? What are you afraid of? Hypocrisy? What are you afraid of in, in regards to their perception? Say that again. Offending them? Pride versus humility? What else makes it hard to witness to family? Uh-huh. Yeah, it's already hard. Why would, I, why would I want to make it even more difficult? There's this dividing line. You don't want to be more separate. Um, I think this is an encouragement because what we're seeing is that it's more about what God is doing. Uh, what just happened was Jethro was drawn to this light of what God was actually doing. He wasn't drawn to Moses' eloquence. He wasn't drawn to Moses' leadership. He wasn't drawn to the way that Moses presented this thing with clarity. What he was drawn to was what God was doing and who God was. And he saw it in Moses' life. So how is that an encouragement to you? It's an encouragement to you because you can witness to your family because if you're true to what God is doing, you're true to what he has said, and you are recounting it with clarity, they will see your life and they'll see what God's doing. And so it's much less about the packaging, but about the reality of the one true God who's above all others. For some of you, it may be an encouragement as you share with your family. Some of the hardest people to talk to with God are our families. And here we see that Gentile Jethro was moved by the sober recounting and accurate representation of what God had actually done. You don't have to beef it up. You don't have to make it more appealing. You don't have to choose just the right word because you know that this person's going to be offended by that word but you stay true to God. And that's what he was drawn to here. It wasn't what, he wasn't drawn to what Moses was doing. He was drawn to what God was doing. And that doesn't mean you can be a horrible witness and, you know, live however you want and hopefully God will do something good with it. It means staying true to what God is doing. It, that will positively benefit your witness, but ultimately it's much less about the packaging and much more about what God is doing. So I, I would just ask the question, you don't have to answer it out loud, are you aware of your deliverance enough to recount it soberly? 
Is, is what God is doing on your lips enough to when you are in a setting with your family or with friends or anyone else for that matter, are you aware enough of what God is doing to be able to speak to it with clarity and not puff yourself up? A lot of us are, uh, can more easily speak about ourselves than anybody. And that's not what's best when we're trying to put on display the great glory of our great God. So turn back to Exodus 18. Back to Exodus 18, verse 13. This is weird. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. Now, this is weird. Uh, How many people are there? Over a million. And how many Moseses are there? Does this seem a little bit futile to you? Okay, y'all, I'm ready to judge whatever's going on. I'm going to sit right here. I mean, this seems a little bit ridiculous. Um, This does give us insight into the kind of the day-to-day life of of Israel. It would be like a big traveling city. Um, Within the Israelite community, like any other, there would be differences. People would disagree and need someone to help them see what is right and what is wrong. When there's a disagreement, usually the disagreement is either because both people are saying, I'm right, no, I'm right, no, I'm right, or both people are saying, you're wrong, no, you're wrong, no, you're wrong. And so you go to someone who can judge and be wise and give good insight, particularly into what God desires, and say, help us sort this out, because clearly we're not sorting it out on our own. So uh, Moses is, is the the man uh, in, in this verse, not one of many, but the. Uh, people would disagree and they need someone to help them sort it out. Uh, there is no police department. Uh, there's probably no uh, judicial system uh, set up at this point. So Moses, what's Moses burdened for? <laughs> Why would he take the time to do this? If he takes the time to do this, what does it say that he's burdened for? He's burdened for obedience. What else is he burdened for? Peace. That's a good thing to be burdened for. What else is he burdened for? Unity, clarity, understanding, peace. He's burdened for there to be love within the people. He's burdened for reconciliation. These are all really, really good burdens for him to have, but he takes the burden upon himself to judge the people. Now, look at verse 14. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? Men, you ever had this happen? You're doing something the way you always do it, and your father-in-law decides to question why you aren't doing it a better way. Many of you are sitting by your wives right now, and you're trying to keep a straight face. No, I've never had any differences with my father-in-law. I love him dearly. Um, This is funny. This is a funny part of Scripture. We can laugh at it because he's doing something, and his father-in-law says, why are you doing it like that? This This is humorous to me. Jethro uh, has been a believer for all of about five minutes, right? Now, let, let, let's climb into this. Um, 
I want us to see that, um, look at verse 15. Father-in-law says, why are you doing it like that? And verse 15 says, and Moses said to his father-in-law, uh, because the people come to me to inquire of God, father-in-law, when they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses is burdened for a very good thing. His aim is to make God's ways known to the people. That's what Moses wants. So that they can apply it to their everyday life. In a sense, Moses is saying, Jethro, if I don't do this, then the people are going to move forward in a divisive manner. The people are going to move forward unreconciled to each other and ultimately unreconciled to God. It's not just a matter of settling disputes, but communicating truth. That's often the best way to settle a dispute, is to communicate truth. So look at verse 17. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you're doing is not good. Now, again, Jethro has been a believer for all of about five minutes and decides to tell Moses that he's stupid. Before we go any further, does Jethro have the right to address Moses in such a manner? Yes. Does anyone say no? Why yes? Why? How does he have that right? Moses standing in the council of an older man. First Timothy 5, Paul is writing to Timothy, who's a pastor, and says, Timothy, treat older men the same way you would your father. It doesn't matter if you're an elder, Timothy. You treat the older man the way you would a father. Here's something that we're seeing. He is a father-in-law. He is a new believer. Um, when you j- enter into the faith and you begin your journey, are you on like a, a remedial plan or a watch care plan or a keep your mouth shut for at least six months before you try to really say anything plan? If, if someone professes Jesus Christ as their Lord, their Savior, and their treasure, um, are they... Uh, are, are they are they a little bit less of a Christian than, say, like someone who's, who did that like 20 years ago? No. I hate it when I see this. When I see people treat other believers, potentially newer believers, as though they're sort of imbeciles. And it's not a matter of trying to reason. A lot of times I see believers who have been believers for longer than maybe a younger believer, I'll see them just discounting, just, well, whatever. I, I hear what you're saying, but, you know, I've been doing this a long time. And that's not, um, that's not a good design. And I think that, I think that, uh, I think Moses sets a really good example for us here. And I think that Jethro has every right to address Moses in such a manner. Ultimately, I think Jethro is being a very good friend to Moses. And I think a lot of times we allow our roles and maybe some of the things, definitions we have on our lives to keep us from just being good friends who are going to care uh, for those who we, who we love. So uh, Jethro does not have to wait a certain amount of time before speaking to something that he sees as necessary. Jethro's a believer. Uh, Jethro um, is going to Moses, and he's addressing him, and he says, that's not good. So let's look at why it's not good. Look at verse 18. 
you and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out. For the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. For some of you, those are your least favorite words. So I'll say it again. You are not able to do it alone. Yes, we're going to camp out here for just a moment. Uh, Look at Jethro's solution to the problem and let that set in. You may be thinking, "I, I don't need to hear that. Or you may be thinking, I desperately need to hear that. But just hear what's being said here by a very wise man who is informing Moses, who's a wise man, uh, into how to operate in a way that is honoring to God. And he says, you are not able to do it alone. It's a pretty key phrase for our study tonight. So look at verse 19. Now obey my voice. I'll give you advice. And God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them, and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. So, first of all, what he's saying is continue uh, to go to God for them. Jethro, in wisdom, is saying, Moses, continue to go to God for them, and in fact, continue to warn them and continue to inform them particularly. Um, this is not the bad part. Hear Jethro saying, Moses, that's not the bad part. What what you're doing there is good. Here's the bad part. Look at verse 21 through 27. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, (coughs) of hundreds, of fifties, and even of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You'll be able to endure. And all this people also will go to their place in peace. So... Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law, and he did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. In any hard case, they brought to Moses, but any smaller matter, they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. Now, um... The issue that Jethro was speaking to is a need for plurality. He's saying you can't do this by yourself. What you're doing is good, but it certainly is not going to last. What you're doing, the way that you are spending and being spent gladly on the souls of your people, of God's people, that's so good, but um, it has no longevity. You're not going to endure. You're not going to be able to be steadfast. This isn't going to go on for much longer because you can't keep this up. And in fact, there's too many people to do this. There needs to be more order here. So Jethro is apparently very wise. I mean, remember what, do y'all remember what Jethro was doing when Moses met him for the first time? Anybody? I think it's Exodus 4, maybe? 
uh, Exodus 2, I'm sorry. Uh, look at verse 15. When Moses heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses, when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and strayed to the land of, and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came out and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood and saved them, watered the flock. When they came home to their father, Raoul, uh, he said, How is it that you've come home today? They said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew his water. He said to his daughters, Then where is he? Why have you left the man? Um, uh, and, and they go on. But what I'm getting at is that Jethro had a well-ordered life uh, before he met him. There's some other details we can look at, but it's seven, and I don't want to look at all of them. So um, he had a well-ordered life, and then he has well-ordered thinking. And so when he goes to Moses, he says, hey, I know I'm a new believer, but I'm just looking at this, and practically it's not going to work out. And if God is as important as you say he is, and these people are as important as you say he is, then you're going to need some order. So this is a good thing that, Mo- that uh, Jethro was bringing up. He's talking about the need for, pro- for plurality. So before we look at the details of the solution, I would like to consider the fact that Jethro is in fact being a good friend to Moses. He's listening well. He's observing, observing wisely, and this takes time. Sometimes we become so confused in our roles that we fail to be a good friend to those who need it. Turn to Proverbs with me. Proverbs 17. And we're going to just do just sort of a follow me for a second through Proverbs. Look at Proverbs 17, verse 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Look at 18 verses 1 through 2. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. Now, when you isolate yourself, you don't normally say, I'm doing this because I'm seeking my own desire. It's usually reactive. You're you're responding to something. Sort of like Moses, isolating himself as the one judge. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. In fact, he breaks out against all sound judgment. Look at verse 2. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Look at 27.5. Proverbs 27.5. And consider the way that Jethro spoke to Moses. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. I'm sharing these with y'all so y'all can maybe spend some time. That's what Proverbs is like. You kind of got to hear it and look at it, chew on it for a while, consider it. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. And look at verse 9 and 27. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of calamity. Better is a neighbor who is far, who is near, than a brother who is far away. What we're seeing here, that, that picture of the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Some of us misdefine our friends as the people who just won't disagree with us or won't argue with us, the people who just see it our way. Uh, I'm going to surround myself with people who love me as much as me. Um, and there's almost this just self-view and inward view. And here we're seeing true friendship comes um, from those, uh, a friend comes in earnest counsel. Or what does earnest mean? 
sincere. Sincerity. I'm, I'm going to pay attention to that. We, if you don't have the time to pay attention to even what someone else is in the middle of, what they're going through, what their needs are, you can't be earnest. You can't be sincere because you don't know the details. Um, you can respond, but it might be insincere because you don't even um, know what's going on in their lives. So there's truths we can draw from this about friendship and plurality. Now turn back to Exodus 18. We'll finish this chapter. This is the details of the solution. When he says, choose these men, able men from all the people uh, who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe. Um, What I want us to see here is a pattern. Do you see the pattern that it appears that God regularly puts his leadership in scenarios where they're reminded first that they are not God? Moses, you're not God. Moses, there's an end to what you can actually do on your own. So he puts them in scenarios where they're reminded they're not God. And second, um, that they need each other and other people. In the chapter before, they weren't allowed to pass the staff until one got tired. They had to work together. And here, Moses doesn't abandon the responsibility, but the responsibility itself includes the need for good order within the people of God. 1 Timothy 1.4 calls good order stewardship. You ever thought of that? Sometimes when we think of stewardship, we only think of being frugal. That's not, that's that's a very limited definition. Stewardship is good order. So in a sense, Jethro is saying to Moses, Moses, what you're doing is very important, uh, but you're not being a good steward of this people because you're trying to do too much by yourself. I'll repeat that horrible phrase that hits close to home for me. You're not being a good steward of this people because you're trying to do too much by yourself. There are more resources within the body known as the people. Go and appoint men from all the people. So look at what's included in this good order. Look at what is needed for people to have clarity in the way that they walk. And what do you see is needed for such order? It's, uh, he says, let them judge the people at all times. Uh, the verse before, moreover, look for able men. Uh, who fear the Lord, are trustworthy, and hate a bribe. Now, why do you think those are the characteristics of a good judge? Say that again? Yes, there absolutely has to be some qualification. And how would you know those men? How, or, I'm sorry. How would you pick those people out of the crowd? They're not self-serving. You would see it in their actions. You would have to know them. I mean, it's, it's sort of simple, but really big. You would have to know each other to be able to do what is being explained here by Jethro. Uh, able men who fear God are trustworthy and hate bribes. Why would they have to hate bribes? Yeah, what is the judge responsible for? Justice, and what does a bribe do to justice? It sways it. So they need to hate bribes. They don't just need to be indifferent toward bribes. They don't just need to be usually not open to bribes. They need to hate bribes because they fear God and they're trustworthy men. So the things that, if you want good order, if you want people to have clarity in the way they walk, you have to know each other. There has to be men who fear the Lord and care about justice, and there has to be good communication. 
How are you going to pick those dudes out of a big field full of people? There has to be good communication here. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Fifteen fifty-eight. This encouragement to a church that is struggling in many, many areas. It says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Th- this verse informs our directives from God. So my question is, is steadfastness a suggestion? No. It says, be steadfast. Know that God is not indifferent toward our steadfastness. This is a theme that keeps coming up in Exodus. God's not indifferent towards our steadfastness. And he essentially disallows it outside of community. Do you see that? He's saying, are you going to be a lone ranger in this? Guess what? You can't, you can't, you can't be steadfast outside of community. There's a certain point. By his design, you can only have so much sound judgment as an individual. By his design, you can only hold the staff in the air for so long as an individual. When we rightly depend on each other and we pay attention to the details and we move within community, knowing each other, communicating well, depending on others and also being a dependable person, then we will have clear direction from God and we will have good order. You won't find clear direction from God and good order outside of that. We will know what it means to function as a people. And when we lack clear direction, personally, corporately, when we lack good order, it would do us good to see if we're trying to be too independent. Uh, our, our culture is a culture that just pushes for you got to be independent, you got to be your own person. And God is just telling us over and over again in Exodus, you need to depend on one another. It's my design and it's important. And it's the way that you'll be most beautiful and I'll be most glorified. You'll be very, very uh, filled with joy and satisfaction in me. This is what God is saying is best for his people. Let's pray. Lord, I feel very distracted um, and uh, very burdened that we wouldn't miss this. A number of us sitting here have real issues with trying to be too independent. And so my prayer is that by the Word and by the movement of the Holy Spirit, we would see that, that Moses did not have enough judgment, enough sound uh, understanding to, to do what he was doing And he needed Jethro to step in and help him with good order. There needs to be good communication within a body of believers. We have to know each other. We have to hold each other accountable to fearing you and to not liking things that promote injustice. Moses' intentions were sound. They were good. He cared for the body. However, he was moving in a manner that was not being a good steward of the people. He was not promoting good order. And in each of our lives, we need better order. We need structure so that we can be faithful in the things you call us to. Uh, uh, 
I think some of us probably even just hearing that, that's unsavory. And so my, my prayer would just be that if there's anything that's from you uh, that is biblical, that is God-ordained, and it is not savory to us, that you would change us, that we would not think it's okay to expect you to change your mind. Help us to depend on one another rightly and keep our eyes fixed on you and fear you rightly. Uh, we love you, Lord. We thank you for Jesus. Uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all have a good evening.